buckle up and get ready for the journey as we navigate the ongoing relationship between belief and life, theology and doxology, or as we like to say, theodox. Welcome to the Theodox Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Theodox Podcast. We're glad you joined us tonight. We are your hosts, Joshua Brooks and Gracie Calhoun. And tonight we welcome back, it's been a while, Matt. It's been a little bit. Matt Davis, everybody. I'm very Matt's, glad uh, you joined us again. I think he's been dodging us. I know. Uh, busy fall. Yeah, I call Matt over and over and he's like, nah, dude. I don't think I ever want to do that again. <laughs> I actually don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I can't say that I blame you. I think a few times I mentioned the subject matter and he's like, nah, I'm out. <laughs> no, just kidding. We are glad you're back, Matt. We always appreciate you being here. Um, we have a great conversation tonight that, um, man, we'll see how it goes. Um, to, we want to talk about um, the relationship, or maybe the two extremes, of salvation by grace alone, that God saves us with no merit of our own, but it's of His um, love and action, and obedience and works. So, uh, firstly, I just want to throw out maybe two extremes of kind of maybe how these are viewed and then let's talk through those. So I think firstly, um, I'll just throw out the more extreme reformed view, which would typically um, hold to that view, maybe in a logical way that says, since God is uh, the author, the finisher of salvation is completely of grace. It is not dependent upon any of my works. I can't earn it. I can't make it happen. The logical conclusion then is therefore I can't do anything uh, to lose it or to, um, yeah, to, to lose it. And so it opens up a whole door of um, a lot, of, not to say a lot of times, but sometimes of like my obedience or my actions don't matter. Right. And I think that's an extreme view. Yeah. Even the thought of not having to ask for forgiveness is oh, an yeah. extreme view because yeah. Yeah. you've already been saved you've already been you're perfect in god's eyes right here right now so you don't have to ask for forgiveness is an idea that's definitely along that ditch on that side so essentially a heavy leaning on positional justification and relying on that entirely and ignoring progressive sanctification becoming more mm-hmm. like christ yeah and, and even like uh years ago i was i was preaching and it was uh it was the prodigal son, but somewhere in there, we talked about repentance. And I had a guy call me, like, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday of the, the, the next few days, basically running me over the coals of calling people to repent because basically I'm telling them to do something that hmm. they can't do. I, I think on the same side of that ditch, and I think these two sides would never agree that they are kind of in the same place, <clears throat> but easy believism would have the same thing. It's like, hey, I prayed a prayer, I'm good, right. and there's no expectation of change that mm-hmm. comes from that. The result is the same, even though they will probably get there through different theological means when it right. comes down to it. True. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, so I've heard these glimpses kind of in our culture. There was, um, there's actually a pastor that I highly respect that there's a, a, a reel going around of him talking about the thief on the cross. And, um, in some ways, this gets really scary because it, you know, kind of what you see are these little memes or videos that go around. It's like, well, um, the thief on the cross wasn't a member of a church. The thief on the cross mm-hmm. didn't get baptized. The thief on the cross didn't grow in sanctification. 
And so you can't be talking about one of my favorite preaching clips now. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen that whole sermon, but I know he. I didn't, watched the whole sermon, so I know he didn't mean that in yeah. the way that I think a lot of people hear it. Right. And you know, was it, it taken out of context? Maybe probably not. He probably, you know, it's probably his group of people that shared it, and it, right. and it is yeah. some great challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know the the concern becomes when we build a theological understanding off of a man who um, cried out for mercy on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. I mean, so like... It's just not the norm. No. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, if he had lived... Bingo. There would have needed to have been exactly. some obedience that would have evidenced it, not mm-hmm. to earn it, but that would have evidenced the salvation that mm-hmm. was there. And we just don't have enough tape on his life after that to know... What well, I mean, I believe that he was saved. Christ said he'd be with him in paradise, right. but mm-hmm. uh, we don't. We would have seen that played out in his life later on for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that other side, maybe we could touch on some of those other ditches, um, or are we saving that? No, go for, for it. later. With as far as going too heavily, and I, I think this is more of our our culture is thinking that my salvation is based on my works, how much I can do, how much I can achieve, as long as my good outweighs my bad. And um, then I can, I can earn it. I can, I can make it there by my own means. And that's, that ditch is like not relying on Christ and relying on self. My favorite one is who you're related to. Mm. My grandma did this. My granddad was a pastor. I can't tell you the number of times I've Mm. heard that. My dad was a pastor, and it's it usually just goes back to again. It's not resting on Christ in any way. It is well. It's essentially Nicodemus. What do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? He was expecting Jesus to say, "You're good. You're Jewish. I mean, you're a Pharisee. It's, right? It's, it's it's your heritage that you're okay." And it's the same type of thinking. I think there's a common thought. You know, as long as at the end of my life the good outweighs the bad. Yeah. You know, and and whether we would say that's works based or not. It is mm-hmm. because it's ultimately dependent on you. If if that's your view of salvation, um, it's not dependent on God and His work and His mercy and grace. Mm-hmm. It's dependent on me doing enough good things, more of them are bad things. And I think this happens in churches too. When you know maybe there's a tendency to preach more on the the obedience passages than mm-hmm. God's grace and His work. And so what people can tend to walk away with is. I got to do more. I got to do more, you know, in order to be there. And so it, yeah, there, there are ditches on both sides. They they come away from church way down with burdens, thinking that their justification or their acceptance with God is up to them. But back to our other extreme, sometimes you can preach in such a way to where people walk out and it's like, okay, well, I don't have anything to do. I'm good. Jesus loves me the way that I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So exactly. why would I change? Yeah. 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 And and we've we've I mean, I know I've heard, you know, uh, sermons in the past where, you know, you hear that statement of I could walk out of here right now and do the most heinous thing in the world and die and it doesn't matter. And that makes me cringe so hard. <laughs> well, as you know, and when we think about biblical security, like Christ's work for our salvation, you know, there is there is an element of truth to that. But at the same time, is that the message we hear preached in scripture? Mm. You know, and and I think that has to be the question that that we're asked is, you know, just because we might come to that theological understanding, 
the, the question still has to be asked, is that how it's communicated? You know, like, are, are people being told that? Like, yeah, you just go do what you want and see what happens. You know, you'll be good. Yeah. And no, that's not no. what we read in Scripture. We don't want to pull up short with the message of salvation, the free gift of grace in Christ that we can't earn in any way, that we can't merit in any way, and then stop short and just leave it unfinished with what are the ramifications of that grace? Yeah. What is the result of that grace? Yes. Mm. We, we, we've all heard uh, statements like, well, I've got to clean up my life and get back into church. Oh, yeah. mm. And, you know, and that's right in, like, that just oozes this same works-based mm-hmm. mindset because it's not, man, I need Christ's mercy. You know, I need God's mm-hmm. grace. It's I need to clean my life up and get back in the church because they see that, you know, some thought process that that's what's going to do it. What we're what we're planning on doing tonight is going through kind of on each side, looking at this conundrum and this. Conundrum. I know. Dun, dun, dun. Conundrum. I guess if we want to look at first the thought of justification or sanctification being by faith or grace alone. So just. Mm-hmm looking at some passages that, that say these things right. kind of in the extreme way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, I think of Romans 8, verse 1. Um, there is there for now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. I, I mean, that's no con- If you're in mm-hmm. Christ, there's no, no condemnation. condemnation. And that's yeah. black and white, and that's absolutely true. There's no yeah. condemnation yeah. in Christ. Yep. And beautiful truths, like that's the crazy thing. Yeah. Like in yeah. Romans eight, you start with no condemnation, you end with no separation. It's like crazy mm-hmm. truth, and yet, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got Romans three twenty four. By works of the law, no human being will be justified oh, in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Mm-hmm. So it's basically just saying that um, we won't be saved by works of the law. I, I had Galatians three one through three, mm-hmm. where Paul is basically saying. You know, who's bewitched you? Did you not begin by faith in Christ and now you're dependent on the flesh? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so like he's 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 not condemning our actions, but that's what it sounds like. Right. He's like saying, hey, don't worry about your flesh and what you do. Just trust in Christ. Yeah. Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9, it's grace that saves you through faith. It is not your own doing. It's a gift. God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, all of chapter four of Romans, where it's talking about, <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of chapter four, yes. um, yep. where he's talking about Abraham being justified by faith, not of his works, not of his works. Yeah. And so just read that entire chapter if you want to reference that. <laughs> so let's look at some verses that are maybe the other extreme where it just sounds so works based that that might be what we take away from it. Peter says in second Peter that we should make every effort to supplement our faith with and then he gives a whole list of things and then he says that if you have these things if you do these things are yours they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful and then it says later on that these things will if you do these things that they will keep you from falling so i have in uh, john 15 um, jesus says if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love mm-hmm. uh, sounds conditional there with the if on the front Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, James gets real yeah. kind of blatant with it with two, chapter 2, verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That seems like <laughs> a straight-up contradiction. Mm-hmm. We can't cover all of this, and um, hopefully this is at the very least kind of a, a prod of interest for our hearers to 
dig into this a little bit more. I think, and you know, we can maybe have a little discussion about, do you think faith as in what it is in its essence includes obedience, like trust, faith, is that, does faith include an, an element of action? So I think that, I don't want to say that faith requires an action, but faith will often evidence an action. Um, Hebrews 11, if you look at it, in instance after instance, um, faith is conviction of something that you can't see, evidence of things that, are, that aren't seen. Then he goes on and he says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Now, these aren't necessarily in salvation sense, but we're talking about yeah. evidencing faith. And in every single one of those, those people evidenced faith by something that they did. Now, I think the thing that we need to be careful about in this is, is that faith is some work that's like, okay, I'm going to have faith. I'm going to step out. And now that I'm stepping out, it's up to me to carry this through. Yeah. Mm. The, the important thing is, yes, faith might require this initial cooperation that we have with God, but then he is the one who's going to enable us in the long run to do it. I, we don't have the power in our flesh to do any good thing. Right. Uh, but he's going to enable us with the faith. I, I, you have the Holy Spirit. I think the grace is there to evidence that faith to obey if you're a believer. And then if the Spirit's calling you, however you look at the uh, the order of salvation, if the Spirit's calling you, drawing you, whatever it is, he's going to enable you to believe. That is not something that you're going to gin up on your own ultimately. Right. And I think that's in line with what James is getting at mm -hmm. with faith without works is dead. Um, you know, there's a mental acknowledgement that Christ, you know, Jesus was a real human being, or we could even make a mental assent to like, okay, yeah, I, I believe he was God's son. Well, that's not a trusting in a way that's generating the result. Um, so yeah, whether it's uh, requires action or not, whether we want to go that far with the definition, it, it um, scripture seems to bleed this connection between the two. Faith could also require inaction. Hmm. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you have been working for your salvation, yeah. faith would say, I'm going to stop yeah. working and start trusting. And so it, it could be, a, that is still an action, but it's a ceasing of action and a dependence that comes. Well, with that, um, it's a reorienting from self to Christ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because that's exactly what happens in John 6 and John 8. When Jesus, you know, he he heals people, he gets in the boat, he goes across, like he's almost seeming to try to get away. But because he fed all these people, they come after him. And, you know, he in essence says, you're coming after me for the stuff I can give you. You're not, you're not coming after me. And then he tells them that they, they believe in their father, the father of lies. And um, so, yeah, there's this, there was this, uh, even with Nicodemus, you know, there's this kind of statement of like, you don't have like Nicodemus quit striving after all these things, mm -hmm. and it's me. And mm -hmm. so there is that that faith that is mm -hmm. relenting of my belief that I am going to earn it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think that faith m means if we're looking at a definition as far as to see God differently, and that would be for to see Him as holy and worthy and the the great 
almighty, infinite creature, our creator and father that he is. And it would also be that faith would to see ourselves as we are, which is sinful, depraved. We are full of wrath and um, children of wrath. And, and it would also cause us to see other people differently as well. I mean, we see that relationship of what faith causes with the um, story with the centurion and with Jesus in Matthew 8, 5 through 13, where, um, the centurion's faith, he's like, you don't even have to come to my house, just say the word. And I know it'll be done. I know what authority is. And I know that you can do this. And then Jesus marveled at his faith Mm. and, um, and he did it. And, so the centurion knew as far as to see for that faith, to see Jesus as holy and perfect and good, to see himself as unworthy of that. And then mm-hmm. also um, adored and loved his slave as well that he asked for mm-hmm. healing for. So faith and like makes us view all those differently for sure. Could we say maybe on that idea of faith requiring action is a better word that our works validate our faith. Hmm. So in other words, you can do good works without faith and nothing happens. But if you say that you have faith, and I think that's James's point, you say that you have faith, but there's no works there that complete or validate that. Do you really have faith when it comes down to it? So Mm -hmm. maybe validate's a better term. Yeah. I like that. So, um, I, one thing that, that I went through several years ago um, that to me was really helpful on this topic of grace and God's commands and how these work together um, was kind of flipping the way I understood um, God's commands and grace and their orientation towards one another. Because there's a tendency to see that God gives commands and then we don't live up to them, so therefore he has to be gracious. And Interestingly, when you look back through scripture, the pattern is really seems to be just the opposite. Like, for example, God creates Adam graciously out of his goodwill. He has a perfect relationship with God. There is no sin. There is no separation. There's no need for Adam to work towards salvation. So God has a a action, gives grace, and also gives Adam commands along Mm -hmm. with that actions to do and restrictions of course adam butchers that and um you know we see that with abraham god calls abraham out of Mm -hmm. nothing and then says now go where i command you and then you see you know the uh, the israelites god graciously brings them out of slavery Mm -hmm. and then here's the law what 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 are your thoughts on any of that i mean because to me it seems to help understand that god's grace is not in response to me messing up and keeping the commands it, it we see that in scripture so i'm not saying yeah. it's not that yeah i'm just saying that um god's grace in drawing me to himself calling me his child he also gives me commands mm-hmm. to do and that keeps those two things there in harmony to where they're not in conflict mm-hmm. at all yeah I, I, I what you're describing and this might be making it too simple is there is so much grace from God that essentially our life is made out of a grace sandwich. It comes from grace here. It That's where it starts. He gives us a command. And guess what we're going to do with those commands at some point? We're going to fail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those kind of, but what's there when we fail with those commands? Grace. There's grace on the backside of it. So we're, we're held on both sides by grace yeah. 
ultimately, mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to keep those commands. The, the grace is there for when we fail and when we do. But as a good father, I, there is, there is uh, joy when God sees his children walking in truth and yeah. not needing the forgiveness that comes from not obeying. Hmm. I think that idea of even the grace sandwich, like you mentioned, was it's, it makes you so much more enthusiastic, I think, and have a heart for obeying his commands. Whereas if it was just like given this command mm. and then it's like when I fail, I get grace. But knowing that there's grace beforehand mm. is, I think, makes us more, at least me personally, enthusiastic and more passionate about trying to uphold these commands. No, I'm not going to do that perfectly, yeah. but trying to... um work at my salvation in essence yeah. and then know and be comforted and knowing that when i fail at that, that there is grace on the other end to hold me so mm-hmm. also changes our view of god because a lot of people view god as the cosmic meaning in heaven who's just trying to tell us not to do things and to deprive us of joy and that he's a heavy taskmaster but if you see grace on the front end of it then it changes the view of, okay, why am I obeying him? It's not because he's unsatisfiable. It is to honor him and glorify him because of what he's already done in the mm-hmm. first place. Yeah. And I think even in the New Testament, we see this. Um, like Paul writes, you started earlier in Romans 2, 8, and 9, where you know you were saved by grace alone, not, um, not of works that any man should boast. But then he gets down to verse 10, and you're saved unto good works. Um, so like there's this, Again, God's grace doing this in you, mm-hmm. and then He's expecting the uh, commands. Philippians two, you know, yeah, twelve through thirteen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we see uh, the uh, the teaching of the old self and the new self all throughout Scripture as well. So, like dying to that old self, and that is sanctification, and putting on that new self. So that is. Um, we have been positionally justified and yet we are still working towards our salvation and that is not to earn it that is out of the outflow of having already received it so like y'all are saying it it validates it by me being positionally justified I am now through the faith that God has given me and that grace and the spirit that now lives inside of me I am now able to to do these good works, whereas mm-hmm. before all I could do was sin. Yeah. yeah. The, back to the second Peter passage, I think this captures the tension so well because verse three of second Peter two, it just has this amazing truth. He's granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us everything that we need to live a godly life um, through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence. He's given us great and precious promises that we can be partakers of the divine nature. What a statement Hmm. that we as human beings can partake in the divine nature and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, aided by the Holy Spirit. And so at that point, you're like, well, I've got it made. He's given me everything that pertains to life and godliness, and I'm a partaker of the divine nature. And if you're not careful, that can lead to passivity. Hmm. But he says right after that, so take alongside that when you get to um, when you get to verse five for this very reason based on this grace yeah what do you do make every effort to supplement your faith with these things it is appropriate for those whom God has rescued by grace to obey him you know just to, mm-hmm. and, and not just appropriate 
but it's just littered throughout Scripture. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, for anybody to say, well, those are God's commands, but I'm under grace, is a fallacy. Uh, mm. It's just ignoring so much, so much Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, if you really want to get down to it, in Romans six fourteen, <laughs> the most misquoted verse, I, I'm convinced that I hear unbelievers say, or even believers who don't know, I'm not under the law. Yep. I'm under grace. Yep. But what does he say right before that? Sin will not have dominion over you. Why? For you're not under the law. You're under grace. You're no longer under having to do it in your own self-effort. Yep. You're mm-hmm. under God's power doing it now. You want to just talk about a major twisting of something to turn something into sin. I'm not under law and grace. I can do what I want. And he's saying, no, you're actually under grace to work, to not sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and this goes right along with that same pattern also because when we think about the Old Testament um, and God uh, calling Israel, creating Israel, and then you have uh, the Mosaic Law. You have all these things that have to be done. And then you read Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesy of the New Covenant. And what does Ezekiel say in chapter 36 is to the essence of um, God saying, I am going to call you. I will take out your heart of stone. I will put, out, put in a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. Be careful to walk in my statute. Or he says, I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. Mm -hmm. And so what we see, like you're talking about in in Romans 6, is like the Old Testament did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them in the way that we do after Pentecost. And so we have, under grace, we have the Spirit living in us in a way that actually empowers us to obey that they did not. And that's a really crazy thing mm-hmm. for us to think about. Well, that's one reason why I think Jesus says that the least in the kingdom of God, not the only reason, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. We've got something that John the Baptist yep. didn't have, the Spirit indwelling us and Christ in us yep. uh, leading us to glory. Because it is the Spirit working within us that is causing us, just like that verse in Ezekiel that you mentioned. So the works themselves that we're actually even performing aren't even for us to even boast in themselves because we wouldn't be able to do them apart from Christ. So in a salvation sense, let's say there was no expectation of works to validate. Would that leave us ultimately wondering whether we're saved all the time Mm -hmm. or not? You know, I don't feel like it today i'm not i'm not changed i'm not any different i'm the same now as i was before would that that seems like that would cause some uncertainty at some point if there's no progressing in being like right. like christ i don't know well in one sense i think it makes our conscience easier if we do away with the measuring stick mm. <laughs> because it's easy to yeah. say man i'm in christ yeah you know with but to not ha- even and then to erase the need for uh, any of those measurements. Um, mm. And measurements is a hard word. That that sounds terrible. <laughs> but yeah. um, why does Paul tell us to evaluate ourselves to make sure we're of the faith? Why, in 1 Corinthians 5, does Paul tell them to kick the sinning brother out of the church and turning them over to Satan if there's no need for obedience? Like, somebody's evaluating that, you know, like yeah. you're saying. And mm-hmm. So the confidence, in a sense, grows from... Christ in us and us seeing Christ working in us, mm-hmm. which yeah. like, and I think that's probably a good way of thinking about mm-hmm. it so that it's not like, Oh, I just did enough. 
mm-hmm. but it's like, is Christ working in mm-hmm. me? Yeah. 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 Well, that's part of the spirit. I think Romans 8, the spirit bearing witness with yeah. our spirit. Right. I'm becoming more like Christ. Right. Yeah. I mean, wow. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not what I was before. I, I, I've, I, I just think of what 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The Bible, the New Testament does not contemplate unchanged believers. Right. It, like at any level. But it, and this is going to be a little bit of a strong statement, but if somebody can profess Christ and be the same spiritually five years later that they were from the time that they professed Christ, I have to seriously doubt whether there was actual change, whether they were regenerated or not. Yeah. I don't believe that it lays dormant for mm-hmm. all that period of time. There aren't two divisions of Christians, the ones who are saved and then 20 years later, well, all of a sudden, well, I'm, now I'm going to get serious and I'm going to be a disciple. Yeah. Right. And... I don't know what's going on in that first 20 years, but it's probably not the gospel. Because it is such a drastic thing with taking a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. Like your heart is now soft towards the things of God because of that action that God has done. So how therefore could we remain unchanged and be just the same as we were before valuing the same things, making our decisions based on the same things without, um, this new thought process Mm. like it's it's just completely not to say that it's a day and night and that you're just immediately new but it is like a an all a, a different purpose and a different pursuit and so that that mm. purpose and that pursuit is going to look different at different times mm-hmm. um but in essence you're pursuing something completely different now yeah well, you, you're no longer operating in the realm of death. Right. You're operating in the realm of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you you use the term of the things that I mentioned with Ezekiel and she just mentioned, which is regeneration. And that's something we hadn't really kind of injected in here and definitionally. Um, so part of salvation uh, throughout Scripture is being made new. And that's what we mean by regeneration. And like there is no salvation without regeneration. Mm -hmm. Like that's just not even thought about in scripture. So we consider and talk about faith in Christ or obedience, but without the element of being made a new creature, um, there, there is no salvation apart from that. So (laughs) it's, it's certainly something that has to be brought into the equation when we're talking about our works is, um, yeah, us being made new, but when we're, when we're made new, we're brought into union with Christ. And I think, you know, for me, union with Christ being the primary overarching way I understand salvation is also helpful when it comes to even this conversation, Mm -hmm. because if I am one with Christ, then I'm going to want to do the things of Christ. Um, Christ, he is the quintessential um, example. And when Christ was much more than an example, so we're not just making him out to be an example. Right. But like, God in the flesh comes to earth and constantly talks about obeying his father. Hmm. Like he is regularly saying, I'm here to do the father's will. I don't Mm -hmm. say anything except what the father says. Mm -hmm. I'm here to obey the father. And even in his prayer in in John 17, you know, there's him praying that we would come along and be in that same fellowship. And so Mm -hmm. how is, how how am I uh, in union with Christ and then not seeking to obey the Father as Christ is. Mm-hmm. You know, that just doesn't make sense right. logically, and it doesn't make sense 
biblically. Yeah. You were talking about regeneration a minute ago. One of the key passages in the New Testament on regeneration is Titus 3, 5. Um, it's not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by washing and regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's that renewal. There's mm-hmm. that new life. It, but then he goes on and he says, we're justified by his grace. We become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. their, I, regeneration mm-hmm. is going to lead to change. It is going to lead to works. And if it doesn't, it's, it's troubling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even those good works that we end up doing where we can look in our past and see, man, I've come so far that still doesn't induce pride. It can. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like in the sense of like our own sin and everything, but a lot of times it's very, very humbling because you think about your previous mistakes and those, the ways that you used to think, even when you were still in Christ. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it, it, it produces that pride in Christ and that confidence in Christ. And like, I can see the work that you are doing in me. I can see the work that you are changing me and accomplishing. And it really just gives you so much more enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. It gives you a, just a confidence to continue Mm -hmm. and through those hard things. Okay. So, um, I know we kind of discussed some technicalities of, some some nuances of scripture and there are tons more if mm-hmm. you know dig into scripture to see those mm-hmm. um but let's just maybe talk for a little bit about what are what are some of the i guess the benefits some of the things we see as a result of obeying god's commands uh, for our own lives for those around us um what are some ways that that affects us and benefits us well i mean i think what jesus says in the sermon on the mount um that we're salt and light. So, and that when we obey, people see our good works and they glorify God. So it is a means ultimately of introducing people to Christ. I think that's some of what Peter is talking about in first Peter, uh, when he talks about the way that we conduct ourselves among the lost. So ultimately our obedience, especially in a holiness sense, we're salt and light in our culture and we're a preservative in our culture against some of the corruption that comes. So even though, um, there might not be a lot of lost people end up coming to Christ. If there are enough Christians who are living their Christianity out, it will affect the spiritual temperature and the, I guess, the sinful corruption that's in their city, ultimately. Hmm. I think it will, I say this, um, um, but I, I think it will produce more joy as well to to obey and because the more you obey and the more your heart is aligned with Christ's heart, the more your will is his. Jesus says, if you'll keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Hmm. And, you know, there's an interesting element there where for us to obey God, which we're saying we're not doing of our own strength, but by his grace. Right. We abide in God's love. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a, a growing closeness to God mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. happens as we walk in obedience um, to his commands. Yeah. yeah. There's a confidence that comes. And I think this goes along with what Gracie's talking about with joy a little bit, but just a confidence of you look back, you know, I look like my dad. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm becoming, I'm becoming more like God. I'm becoming more mm-hmm. like my savior. 
And the response of, is going to be, I didn't do that. He's helping me do that. But there, there's a confidence in that as a believer that you, that the commands of scripture are being fulfilled in you and that you're honoring God and that you're glorifying him. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is something that a lot of people miss out on when they minimize they minimize obedience. Mm-hmm. Plus just the fact, and we don't go too far here because I know the guy um, who took the 10 commandments and made them the 10 blessings. <laughs> okay. We don't want to go too far <laughs> with this. I know but, that guy too. <laughs> but uh, honestly, your life is a lot less messed up when you <laughs> follow God. I mean, he mm-hmm. knows, he knows how right. the world works. He created us. He created things to run optimally and then when we sin, we're going against that, and we make life a lot harder. So life is a little better, honestly, when we're yeah. obeying God. Now, it doesn't yeah. mean that there's not suffering in that type of thing, but generally that's going to be the case. Yeah, and going along with that confidence that you mentioned as well is like an assurance of our salvation because we are confident in Christ and his work and seeing that be completed. That gives us a greater assurance as well and a greater comfort in future glory as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting <laughs> that you said that because I was just thinking a minute ago when Gracie was saying something, I was thinking I cringe when people say like, well, if you would just follow this, it'd make your life better. You know, you know, I yeah. do, but I glitch a little <laughs> when we're trusting in Christ. So by God's grace, we're trusting in Christ. By God's grace, we are following his commands. We are going to make better decisions. You know, we are going to. There, there's so many things throughout Proverbs that are words of wisdom that mm-hmm. are going to be better for our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I were talking just the other night that if a lost person follows the precepts of, of Scripture, there are things in their lives that will, that will make wiser decisions. Absolutely. There, you know, there are a number of things that, that it would do well for them. Now, nowhere, and I'm in no way putting that anywhere close to the category of salvation. All right. But I'm just, yeah, I absolutely I, agree. I just, I mean, just think, think about um, God's commands. Okay, so if we obey, it makes your life better. Well, okay, we're still going to have a life of suffering. But let's face it, if you're married and you only have relations with your your monogamous, in other words, you're not sleeping around, that's going to make your life better in the long run. There's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that you're going to yeah. avoid because of that. So there are tangible blessings that come mm-hmm. from obeying God. Right. Yeah. And not sealing means you don't go to jail. So, I mean, you know, that's a blessing too. That is a blessing. And it does say don't do crack. Or just like (laughs) not a punishment. Is a lack of a punishment a blessing? That's in the the New English Bible. Don't do crack. (laughs) Why is it that? And when y'all were growing up, my idea of positive reinforcement was merely the The lack lack of of negative. negative. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's like, I'm not beating you. So there you go. That's positive. positive. (laughs) Uh, I still think that way because of you. (laughs) So I think one thing with this conversation is, you know, we're talking about works and good works and, um, and obedience. Um, you know, I, I know I've heard thoughts of like people asking, well, can't non-believers do good works? Hmm. Um, and, um, so I just want to throw out there, maybe get your thoughts on this, but, um, Obviously, we just said they can follow the precepts of Scripture. Right. They can serve people. They can do a lot of the things that Scripture calls us to do. I think when most of the time we mean as Christians when we say um, they can do nothing good is that we're saying they can do nothing uh, salvific. Meritorious. Yes, right. in yeah. and of themselves. Just yeah. as you quoted earlier, I think um, that no one 
in the flesh can please God. Right. Um, And so, you know, what pleases God in a salvific way is faith in Christ. Yeah. Us repenting of sin, trusting in Christ. And outside of that, everything we do is sin. Yeah. Like everything anybody does that's any good work, but apart from Christ, Mm -hmm. it's sin. So even though it can, we can say, yeah, it's a good thing. It's still sin. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, what we would hope people move towards is faith in Christ. Well, it goes back to your concept of union in Christ. Before Christ, there's another union. It's a union with Satan. I mean, you are in death. You're the children of disobedience. Mm -hmm. The wrath of God is going to come on you. And and it might be in Proverbs. I can't remember where it is, but it says, even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Mm -hmm. Because I think that ultimately it's because they are joined to, they are joined to their father, Satan. That's who they are. And, um, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't encourage a lost person to try and do good things. I mean, that's the reason why we have laws mm-hmm. that you want to encourage that. It's just we got to make sure that we're not saying that their good things are going to somehow or another get them in with God in some right. way. Yeah, because like we're saying, these these good in quotation marks are in separate categories. There's the good on like an action here on earth Mm -hmm. on like, you know, doing charity for other people like that is in the worldview, like a good thing to do. Right. And yet we're not in the category of what we're saying. It's not is that it's not outweighing the bad and contributing to your salvation and earning you anything. So in that sense, every in quote good action that you might complete on earth that is good for society, it's good for you, whatever might even be in obedience to scripture. Yes. Is not contributing anything towards salvation and therefore is sin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because you're relying on yourself. Right. Yeah. 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 It's a form of pride. Ultimately look at me and what I'm doing. It's it, like, it's oh, I'm, I'm doing this to make sure I'm doing enough to be able to outweigh what I do that's bad so that way I can earn my salvation and mm-hmm. get to heaven. Yeah, it's the plethora of Jews and Pharisees. Um, even though a lot of times today people put Pharisees and they'll equate them to like um, the, the moralistic churchy people, you know, but the Pharisees were the ones who believed in their own righteousness. And so that happens in the church and it happens uh-huh. outside the church. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but... Anyway, if, if we're depending on ourselves and our works, then, yeah, it's in the same category mm-hmm. as um, Pharisees. So I'll ask this question and just see if y'all agree with this, if we would all agree with this um, statement that salvation is by the grace of God alone and it produces, God's grace produces a new creation, a new creature that produces works and obedience. I concur. Yes. Okay. And I would say that there are no ifs, ands, or buts to that. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. that it's not that God well, saves us. If you die us. on the cross right then. What's that? If oh, you yeah. Die- yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, if God saves us, then somehow or another, there's going to be the good works aren't going to follow it in yeah. some way. You're I, saying I it's not optional. It's not optional. No, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah. And I think that's what James teaches us. It's, it's not optional. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening and watching. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. And, um, yeah, hopefully, again, this has just begun, you know, or prodded on some more thoughts for you. And um, certainly we'll continue this for, our, I know, myself. And, um, yeah, take care. Have a great time. And, um, yeah, give us a shout out.
Take care. Woo. Adios.